Hey, it's Jen Garrett here, and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. I've helped thousands of people to develop their own personal game plan to achieve that next level of greatness. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies of professional athletes, Fortune 500 executives, and successful entrepreneurs to elevate your hustle and get you across your goal line. So get ready. It's your time to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, this podcast is all about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. Now, I have a few things I'm going to mention before we get into today's episode. And if you've listened to the show before, this isn't a surprise that I'm going to say these things. So first, if you are not a subscriber to the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to the show on. And that way, you'll always know when new episodes are out. And secondly, if you find the podcast to be of value, which I hope you do, share it with someone else too. I'm always looking to grow and to reach more people. And so you telling a friend or two or three or more will be helpful for me to move the ball as well. All right. So today I've got a great guest here with us. I'm really, really excited. He's someone that I think the world of and absolutely love, love, love his energy. So inside the huddle with us today and here to share his perspectives, his thoughts and his lessons is Kenan Tatum. Kinnan is a retired football linebacker who played college football at Notre Dame. He was drafted by the Carolina Panthers in the third round of the 1997 draft, 87th overall pick, and he also played for the Tampa Bay Bucks after his time with the Panthers. After the NFL, Kinnan has spent time coaching football, and he's also worked in the insurance industry as well as the financial sector, where he currently works for Thrivent, and we will talk about his journey beyond football on the show as well. Kenan, welcome to the show. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone out there in virtually. There you go. I'm super jazzed to have you on the show. As I mentioned, I love your energy. We can hear it already, which is awesome. And, you know, we've known each other for a number of years, and I feel like that we just vibe on so many wavelengths, our level of football, our positive energy, high energy, and kind of that we have that go, go, go mentality. And I think one thing that I've always admired about you as well is that striving for excellence and enabling teams to excel and to get to that next level, because that's kind of something that I like to do as well. Right. Absolutely. So as you know, football and competitive sports in general, they teach us so many lessons about being successful in sports as well as on and off the field. So let's kick off our chat talking about what are some of the important lessons that you learn from playing football? Competition is necessary. Yes. Don't shy away from it. Embrace it. Competition is necessary. You know, with the lack thereof competition, you don't even have almost like a litmus. You don't have like a, a mirror or you don't have like something that's pushing you to bring the best out of you. And no matter what, I don't care who you are. To all you self-starters in the world, I'm one of them. You know what I mean? We do work harder when we work in conjunction with a competition or going against somebody. So, but we were taught even at a young age not to shy away from it. And, but the same thing is happening in the real world and the working world too. So, you know, people shouldn't lose that mentality because 
you know, just because it's now it's doing it for dollars, you know, just because they hire somebody, you know, that's doing the same job that you do or, you know, are looking to bolster their, their staff. I mean, you should take that as competition as you did on the playing field if you were an athlete and then just make the best of it because it's going to bring the best out of you. Absolutely. I think that's an important lesson that being a competitive athlete teaches you. And to your point, I mean, competition is so necessary to being successful because all through your life, you're going to face it. And so you have to think about how am I going to be the better player, be the better leader, be the person that brings more value to the table so that I do get those next opportunities because I am better than those that are out there playing the same game that I'm playing. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about how did you get into football? Like when was the first time you picked up a football? When was the first time I picked up a football? I'm sure I picked up a football. I mean, you know, it's just like every young little boy, you know, especially the first boy in the household. So, you know, your first time you can walk and talk, your first birthday or Christmas, you got football <laughs> or, or basketball or whatever kind of ball. So that was that for me. You know, baseball was my first love, but football, I played baseball for three years prior to playing football. And I started playing that in the fifth grade when I was 10 years old. And my mom finally gave in. Because she didn't like the violence part of it, you know, the the physical nature of it and whatnot. And nobody had taught me how to play. And she had never seen me play or anything like that. So so I was 10 years old and in the fifth grade. And I played Pee Wee League. And, you know, they had weight limit restrictions and everything. and didn't have any problem then because it was hard to even uh, gain some weight then. I was kind of small when I was little, you know, and the rest is history. I thought I'd love it. And then it ended up being 10 times more than what I even thought year after year after year, especially when you learn more and more about the game because now the game slows down and, you know, you start to get good at it. At first, you just want to do what's right, you know, because you don't know the rules. You just want to do what's right. And the more that you know, you know, the more you can actually show because you're not thinking as much and you're actually letting your physical talents shine. And what was it about the sport that made you love it so much? Contact. Great answer. You knew that answer. I mean, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I get to put my hands on somebody, you know, and not get in trouble for, you know, I grew up in a house with all sisters, all girls, man, you know, so you get mad and upset. Oh, yeah, I could just, I'll just go screaming, screaming the pillow, go take my Louisville slug up against the sap tree out back or something like that. But, you know, you can't, you know, it's like two brothers can go at it out back. It, it wasn't like that in my house. So it was a lot of pent up frustration. So, sports or any kind of sport with uh, contact involved was definitely interesting to me, football being number one. I see. And so I mentioned when I read your bio that you played college football at Notre Dame. And something I recently learned about you was that you didn't even know about Notre Dame until you were being recruited by them. So talk to us about kind of that journey and how you got to Notre Dame. Well, again, it starts, I like contact. And people saw me knocking the bejesus out of people. And next thing you know, (laughs) it became, I'm playing within the rules you start to get recruited, you start to get known and, you know, and like the top tacklers and being like considered the top, I was a free safety in high school, but the league that I was from, it wasn't a high passing league back there in the nineties. They passed sometimes, you know, more so in the playoffs, but uh, it was a lot of run. So I played safety, but it was like a linebacker. So I used to take that 15 yard run and come up and just annihilate folks. And I used to hit them with a different kind of contact. Now it wasn't normal. You know, and I say that because, you know, I have been through a tragedy in my junior year in high school to where my aggression like really, really picked up once I lost my little sister. So things were different. I had a different outlook, a different perspective on things. So and then, yeah, and 
where I was like the second ranked safety in the state. And then uh, I was getting recruited by Michigan, heavily recruited by Michigan. Um, amongst a whole bunch of other schools too. But Michigan was heavy on me and I was high on them. You know, I liked the little web on the helmet, the whole nine. It was real cool. And then after they recruited me for like six months, but then they called me one day. It was off season. And the coach, was like, yeah, we got to drop you off the recruiting list. I was like, I was like, what does that even mean? I didn't come from a sports family or anything like that. So I don't even, all of this was brand new. Everything was brand new. So he's like, we have to drop you off the recruiting list. I'm like, well, what does that mean? It was like, well, you know, well, you know, we're just going to go in another direction, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I don't need, that doesn't even make sense. So when I told my coach, he was like, nah, they just got the safety that they wanted to get. You know, <laughs> he said, that's all that means. They got the safety they wanted to get. They're good. And they only have one scholarship or position that they're looking for. I was like, oh, okay. So then Notre Dame started recruiting me a little bit more after that, when I was getting recruited by Michigan. And like you mentioned before, like I said, I didn't know what Notre Dame was. I used to get the letters that come in and they used to have the little gold helmet on there. And like, I thought it was real gold, like, cause they made the school look so prestigious on television i'm like man where is this place like england like i don't know look at the church you know there's angels flying everywhere but i don't know what's going on i feel like putting on a robe just to watch the football game like what's going on here you know but i saw that it was in in south bend indiana i'm like what is the south bend and so i had no idea about the midwest at all anywhere and notre dame was my first introduction to the midwest and once i told them about the michigan story they was like we play michigan every year i said oh really and then I was already softly committed. I didn't let them know that, but I was like, oh, really? Sure. That's a great point to make. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you end up playing at Notre Dame. You have a, a number of great linebackers that you're playing with, including Corey Miner, who I had on the show recently, yep. as well as another one of those guys that just has amazing energy. Oh, through the roof. Yes. Yeah, through the roof. Yeah. I know we try to calm K's energy down. Boy, he is Mr. Energy. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So if y'all haven't checked out that interview with Corey, he is high speed. Yes, check it out. Check it out. But you guys were known as the linebacker quartet, the headbangers. Yep. Talk to us about how did that name come to be? Well, it, I mean, it was almost, it was just a band of brothers. And, you know, and headbangers, because we all love contact, like what I just spoke about. I mean, we all used to speak about that privately openly in locker room and everything like you know like our whole mission was really to you know rock somebody's world and we took joy out of that so it was just we all like contact and head bang we always used to love bang heads and probably we'll probably all sit here concussed today but uh <laughs> but it was fun while it lasted i'll tell you it was fun while it lasted but we just loved contact we flew around and we just had a brotherhood on and off the field yeah, I love that. And you can tell, like, when I would talk to Corey about you, I mean, just the love that he had for you and spoke about the team. And I mean, that was, you know, a couple decades ago now. Corey's like me because he used to borrow my car all the time. You know what I mean? Like, that's what, <laughs> you know. Good to know. Because I was living off campus. So, you know, I'm like, I'm living good. He's like, man, can I borrow your car? He's like, I'm going to get a ride over there, man. He borrowed my car. He'd be riding all. He always be gassing it, though. And he'd ride my whole car the whole weekend, man, all over. I don't know where that guy was going, but he'd be somewhere. <laughs> Next time I talk to him, which will be later today, I'll be sure to reach out. I'll have to mention this little story. Oh, my God. Cadillac story. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. So something that Corey has said about you, not to me specifically, but I've read, he said, he said that, you know, you are the glue of the defense. 
that you make it all go. Kenan never misses an assignment and is always in the right place at the right time. Without him, this defense would not be what it is. So I'm going to ask you, what is it about you? What did you do to make sure that you were showing up the right way and able to perform for your teammates? You know what? And it's an honor that he said that. It's an honor to hear that anybody said that, but that is a uniform kind of testament about me from the guys that I played with. And it, and it really is humbling and it really is good to hear that, you know, and even the coaches felt that way too. You know, Coach Ho spoke that way. Coach Davey spoke that way, who was my linebacker coach and defensive coordinator for the most part. And I don't know. I mean, it's not like you go out and try to be the glue. Who the heck go out and try to be the glue? Who wants to do that, you know? But at the same time, when you're reliable, like when you're reliable to be on the field, to be at practice, to be in the meeting room, to participate, to answer, to learn, to not miss assignments, to not make the same mistake twice is the biggest thing too, you know, and it carries over and everybody's getting graded. You got 11 people on the field at the time and, you know, and I mean, they don't just grade Ken and Tatum. I mean, they're grading Ken and Corey, Burt and Cobb at the same time. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all look at our individual results. We all look at the overall results. And I was just Mr. Consistent and I didn't ask for much. You know, a lot of the other linebackers, they might say that like in jest a little bit, you know, because they were very highly touted. You know what I'm saying, Jen? Like all of those guys were linebackers. I was a safety that was moved linebacker. You know, so it was different. It's not like, oh, they expect him to be some linebacker. They didn't even see what I could do as a safety. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like a wait and see. And then, but it's somebody who is undersized, but proves themselves day in and day out. You got a question. I'm going to help you get lined up. You're in the wrong place. I'm going to help you get lined up. You miss an assignment. I'm coaching on the field. So I don't know what glue means other than. Just always trying to be responsible, but not trying to be, but actually doing my job, you know? There you go. And something that I've heard you share the story about you switching positions. You mentioned you played safety, then went to linebackers. Sometimes in life, we're asked to play a position that we didn't think we were going to play, right? In the corporate world or whatever. And so talk to us about that journey of being told, hey, I want you to play linebacker instead and kind of how you felt and what you did to transition and be successful playing that other position. I thought Lou Holtz was out of his mind. I really did. I was 205 pound linebacker. I mean, safety, but I was, I like contact and I could hit. I made contact very well, but however, running with those college receivers was a challenge for me, for real. So he wanted to move me to linebacker he wanted to have a meeting with me. And so I went and met with him and he told me, he was like, look, son, I want to move you to linebacker because I have you really think you have a chance to play there. I'm like, I think I have a chance to play a safe. Like, so <laughs> like, so what does that mean? He's like, well, you know, you can wait till your junior year and get on the field as a safety, you know, because we got some really good safeties in front of you. Or we can move you to linebacker and you can be on the field a whole lot sooner. I'm talking about like, you know, your freshman year, this year, because he was talking to me as a freshman. And he was like, well, well, do you trust me? And I was like, yeah. He was like, well, do you think I can coach football? I was like, well, yes. He's like, well, well, that's what I do. He was like, you know, this is like what I do. So I'm not just like, you know, guessing. He was like, I, I know what I'm doing. So if you really trust me and if you're committed and if you love the sport, then you'll give it your best. And I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. So 
It was terrifying, especially the very first week was terrifying because now the people I got to go against are right in my face. I got to use my hands. Oh, I got these linemen coming after me and all this other good stuff. I'm like, oh, gosh. So it was rough getting acclimated. But the second week that they moved me to linebacker, I was starting as a freshman. And I started three games as a freshman, and, and it was unreal. And once I did, there was no turning back. Now, I still had a long way to go because I played outside linebacker. Then outside is a lot easier than inside. But then I was moved to the inside in that following spring. So that learning curve started all over again, and it was a really rough spring. But however, I ended up flourishing in the position, and the man must have knew what he was talking about because I ended up making it to the NFL, as you mentioned. And it was that linebacker, not at safety. There you go. <laughs> yes. And so let's talk about Lou Holtz for just another minute or two. So Lou is no question a great leader, a great coach. What in your mind makes Lou great? I think his faith. His faith makes him great. The practice of his faith makes him great. I really do think the way that he practices faith makes him great. I really do. And I say that because, you know, I started walking with the Lord. September 1st, 2019, and my life has been totally different. And even though I've been blessed all along my life before that point, it's like when you realize what your purpose is and your purpose is to move men, but not only just to, you know, move men or do a job or, you know, what we're good at, what we're gifted at, but it's to build the kingdom of God and it is to further the kingdom and it is to exalt the name of the Lord and it is to, you know, walk the walk. And he did all of that and everything that he did. He always wanted to make sure that we had an understanding of the spirituality of it. And that's amazing. And, you know, sitting back here looking on it now that I understand a lot more and I have a one-on-one, a real active relationship with God. You know, I mean, he was doing his work. He was doing his work. He was 100% committed and his intentions were good. And, you know, you reap what you sow and nobody sowed more than that man. That man sowed his whole life into the sport. But most importantly, the foundation of the sport and the foundation of the psychology, the mindset, the mind, it controls everything. And what he put into shaping your mind to showing you who you are, to showing you what you're capable of. And he brings the faith out of you if you're 100 percent committed. And to see that is a beautiful thing. And I think that that's why he had success, because he was doing the work of God through football. I love that. And I know you have a lot of Lou Holtz stories. So I'm going to ask you, I mean, we talked about you moving from safety to linebacker, but share with us one other story that you might find entertaining with Coach Holtz. Like I said, uh, that man um, is a particular on doing things the right way and, you know, and uh, doing things the right way. And I always wants to show you how it's done. You know, now, I don't know how even old the man was at the time. Yeah, I don't know. It was probably in his 60s. Back in the, I have no idea how old he is now, like in his 80s. But he probably was in his 60s. And we were in Ireland. And, you know, and we were playing Navy. And it was, you know, a real lopsided game. It was supposed to be a lopsided game as far as us being a lot, lot better than them at that time. And we were. So during the week, you know, the practices were real light, but, you know, anytime we're playing somebody, a lesser opponent, especially a greater lesser opponent, if that even makes sense, host would be even more, you know, a stickler on all of the little things. So guys would go out at night over there. We were in Ireland, you know, they come back in, you know, have a little fun. Some guys get called after curfew. Okay. Well, one time before the game, you know, so guys have been kind of spotty all week. And then 
<laughs> pre-game, we were warming up pre-game in Ireland. And Coach Holtz was on, he was on one. He was on a tirade. I guess he was trying to fire the offense up because he was always dealt with the offense. So when he get on one, like we just watch him sometimes. We'd be like, man, look at that guy over there. We're like, good God, I'm so glad he coaches on a day-to-day. <laughs> it's like, good Jesus. But he was trying to show an offensive lineman how to block because the offensive lineman wasn't blocking right. So he told him to get out of the way. He jumped down there, told the defensive lineman to get down there as well in a stance. Lou Holtz gets down in the three-point stance, and he was like, well, somebody hiked the ball. So it meant so they hiked the ball. Lou Holtz was demonstrating a block. He fired off so hard into that D lineman's chest, who was fully dressed for the game, by the way. And it ripped the skin from the top to the bottom of Coach Holtz's nose off. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but he did it to himself. He, the guy just stood there, and he just ran, put his face in his face mask, just like he wants the offensive lineman to do. He did it just like that, but he kind of didn't have a helmet on, so he left with a big scrape dose. Oh. <laughs> and it was hilarious. And he wore this big-ass mandate during the game, man, and every time we looked, I couldn't even look at it because, you know, uh, I respect the guy, and I was daggone sure going to laugh every time I looked. Well, he was committed, for sure, to DJ. Oh, he was crazy. Go ahead and say it. He was crazy. He was crazy. Go ahead and it's say it. A different C word. <laughs> yeah, it is, but you know what? They're one and the same, aren't they? Yes. Because, you know, because crazy, passionate, however you, you know, when when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're crazy about it. You surely are. You should be. You know, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I was talking with a friend of mine maybe about a week and a half ago and I was telling him about some of the crazy things that I had been doing. And he's just like, Jen, what I want you to do is I want you to write these things down or send yourself a voice note or whatever. And I want you to capture these moments because I want you to then talk about them later or put them in a book or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, these yeah. things are so crazy. I'm like, one day I will, not now, but one day, yes, I will share these crazy things. But it, when I think about it, I mean, it is because I was so committed to what I was trying to do. I was willing to push myself and do things that other people might view as crazy because I was so committed to the goal that I had set for myself. Well, back to the faith again. That's the way the Lord wants us to worship him in a crazy way, in a crazy faith. Not a little bit, not a lot. I'm talking. You know what I'm saying? Yes. (laughs) So what you're crazy about or what you're passionate about, that's one of your gifts from him. Right. So it's okay. It's you got green flag to be the green light to be crazy in it. Yeah, go, because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Do it. Completely agree. And I will tell you that my faith is at its strongest right now. And as I was doing these crazy things, I was going out on faith that these were the things that were going to work. And they ended up being great moves. But when I was doing them, like, this is crazy, but okay, here we go. And so one day I will share with everybody, I promise some of this craziness, but not yet. Not yet. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. One time I drove from Indiana, I drove from South Bend, Indiana to Greensburg, Pennsylvania for an interview. Drove. Wow. And just had faith I was going to get the job. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, luckily, I did because good God needs to have money. Yeah. Gotcha. So let's talk about you playing in the NFL. So, as I mentioned earlier, you were drafted in the third round, 87th overall pick. As you joined the Panthers organization, what was the biggest like eye-opening moment or thing that you learned about what professional football was versus playing at the collegiate level? How much extra you're supposed to do if you really want to be good. Like, you know, extra is 
a given in the league if you want to have some sustainability. You know, what the coaches show you is fine. The meetings that you have, everything that's organized is fine. The organized workouts is fine. The organized study periods is fine. On the field activities is fine. But you got to do extra. You have to, again, like what we were talking about, crazy about it, right? It has to be so much second nature to you because it moves at such a speed in practice that on game day that, you know, you want to have to have seen this before, to have been there before. If you've been somewhere before, you kind of know what to do. And the more and more that you see those mental reps before you actually get the physical ones, the best you're going to perform in the physical opportunity. So it's the above and beyond that needs to be commonplace and mandatory in order for you to have some sustainability and have a good life in the NFL. If you just do just enough, you know, you'll be out of there pretty soon. Right. And and a common theme the guys talk about is there's, and you know this, there's always someone else waiting for your job, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you're not performing and you're not doing the extra, someone else is, and they're ready to take your spot. That's right. That's right. As they should be. And one of the things that I think more and more guys in the league are realizing that the NFL, I mean, people joke around about how the NFL stands for not for long, but it really is not for long for a lot of people. The average NFL career now, it used to be 3.2 years. Now it's like two. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I feel like more guys are being aware of like, hey, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Whereas decades ago, people thought they're going to play forever. And they're not thinking about beyond the game and setting themselves up for success. And so I work with a lot of younger athletes and early career NFL guys, as well as mid-careers that are looking at how they can set themselves up for success after football. And so what I want to ask you is, as you look back on your time playing in the league, what are some of the things that either you did or that you wish you had done while playing to set yourself up for success when you made that transition? One of the positives was I maxed out, even though the short time I was in the NFL, I did max out my 401k contributions each year because, you know, we have money, mm-hmm. you know, we had surplus. So I definitely maxed out that because, you know, when they have the match, anytime that you're in a position where you receive the company match, you know, it's free money. And, you know, the bigger the pot, the faster the interest grows and it's all just for you. So, you know, I would really encourage guys to max out their 401ks, which I'm sure they're all being advised to do, but it really is beneficial and really don't plan on touching it to retirement. It's money that you're going to see in retirement that's going to create that guaranteed income stream later on in life. One of the things that I wish I would have did was look more into charitable giving, more into charitable giving to, again, spread the message, you know, and I'm more than a football player. So I wish I would have got involved with a lot more opportunities that had nothing to do with football, especially like financial literacy for individuals. And I know that I'm, I'm in the financial industry now, but, you know, when I had that kind of surplus, I'd be sitting here a multimillionaire if I would have just did a few different things. Mm-hmm. And th- there's guys in that situation now. So those guys can give me a call, Instagram, Facebook, anything, you know, man, I can tell those guys or give those guys some clarity on really how to make the best of what they've been given. Sure. And I think financial literacy is so important for everybody, right? Not just athletes, because it's important to know how to make your money work for you, what kinds of things to do to set yourself up for financial success. And that's one thing I was telling someone the other day that I was really fortunate that my dad had taught me about finances early on as a kid. And so that was something that was always top of mind. And I always maxed out 
on my 401k, as soon as I started working and I had that available, Mm -hmm. I was also someone that invested other money into the stock market and other projects that worked out well. But it was because I had that foundation. And I feel like there's so many people that do not get that. And it's such an important thing. Yeah, it's a very important thing, especially, you know, when you don't come from money or come from that literacy, a combination of both. You know, you get it in African-American community. You do more of trying to hold on to it than you do trying to grow it. And I think that that's where guys can make a big mistake. I'm glad you brought that up. And so let's talk about two things, what you're doing now we'll expand upon that. But also, I mentioned that you were in the, the insurance industry. You worked with Allstate for a number of years as well. And so for people that might be interested in a career in either insurance or the financial services sector, what are some of the things that you would give them as far as things that they can do to set themselves up for success in either of those spaces? Well, First and foremost is get licensed. You can get licensed on your own and not have to have, you know, explore getting licensed. If you want to get into the industry, you know, definitely you want to talk to a professional like myself and just ask us as many questions about, you know, what is our experience like? What was our onboarding experience like? You know, when do you start making money? They say you can make up to this money. Okay. But what does that money schedule look like, you know, for that first six months and uh, what goes into it? So really just planning on, you know, your expenses and planning on how much work you're actually willing to do. But the only way you're really going to understand that is by talking to several professionals and really in taking a little bit of their career and using that to your advantage. So I'm curious, one thing that Corey shared on our episode was he talked about how when he was done with the NFL, he was in sales. And something that was a learning experience for him was that nobody cared that he was Corey Miner and that he had played in the NFL. And so people would hang up on him or (laughs) cuss him out or uh, you guys got to go listen to this episode. It's very entertaining. Um, But but he talked about how he learned like, oh, my name doesn't matter anymore. So I'm curious, did you have a similar experience when you were starting out? And what suggestions would you have for people that because in insurance, in financial services, it's all about building up your client base. I mean, that's in any industry, but especially those building up your client base. And it's a lot of networking, connecting, reaching out to people. So share with us your experiences there and some things that you would say have helped you to be successful. Well, number one, As far as sales go, if you're talking about sales specifically, I do more planning, you know, and there's sales that's involved in that, but it's more planning. But in sales specifically, because I was in sales previously directly, and, you know, you got to focus on the client, like what the client wants. I would say, first and foremost, you need to have a product that you believe in that pretty much sells itself. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, that's half the battle you know, because you got to believe in, you know, what you're selling. And people like to talk about themselves and what they want to do. They don't really want to hear that much about you and like what you've been and what you've done. I mean, that's great. We've all done some things, you know, some, some highlights. That's great. But what are we doing now? Like, you know, like how are you going to, you know, how is this product or this service going to make this individual's life better or more efficient? And the more that you can paint a picture, and tell a good story on the benefit to the client and how it embedders them and how it fits to like what they want to get accomplished, like their goals and their needs. I mean, I think you can really become a really good salesman because in doing that, you're building a relationship 
you're getting to know somebody. And the better you are at building relationships, the smoother you are going to have results in sales. Absolutely. And that's in anything, right? Relationship building is important. And no matter what your position, no matter what your role is, no matter what industry you're in, because whether you're selling to a client or just working with people, I mean, the relationships you build with people are what's going to help you move the ball forward or not. Absolutely. And so you mentioned that you do financial planning now. Talk to us a little bit more about that. And then how can people connect with you if they're interested in learning more? Yes. And it's holistic financial planning as well. So I don't know, people have an array of ideas when they hear the word and some of them, you know, kind of guard their purses or whatnot. But financial planning is just a conversation. It's just really taking, you know, your finances, your financial situation and you being open and honest about it, like where you really want to go. What does retirement look like to you? Do you want to retire? What age? How have you prepared for it so far? And how can I help you prepare for it from this point on? And everybody's situation is different. And it, you don't have to have a million dollars. You don't even have to have half a million dollars. You just have to have the desire to want to make the most of your financial situation. And that's what I do. And I talk through situations that just provide people clarity from A to Z, from talking about the protections and making them really understand like, okay, everybody wants to move forward, but First and foremost, what could set you back? What could knock you off your wheel right now? And are we prepared for that? And are there ways to look into protections for that? You know, especially if we have like two income earning homes, if you were to lose one income, how many things are going to change? So there's protection for that too. And if you capitalize on them earlier in life, then it just makes sense. And then it just goes into your legacy planning as well. You talk through protections and then you talk through accumulation. How do you want to accumulate? At what rate? What's your risk level? You know, what can you contribute? You know, do you have any debt in the way that we need to knock out first before we try to stack anything? Because it really doesn't make sense to uh, like the candle at both ends. And then it's on to the, okay, after we've accumulated a whole lot, that's why I'm looking forward to talking to some of my NFL brethren and I already have. And some of them are taking advantage of it as well, too. But it just makes sense to have that conversation because now we're thinking about the distribution phase of our life. When we get to retirement, you become eligible to be able to move your 401k at age 45. And you can't touch it a day before that, even though a lot of people end their NFL career way before 45. But it's a good thing. So it's in there and it's growing. But a lot of people leave it in there, but they don't even know that they could put it in a lot of different other ways or explore a lot of different options where they have a lot more control and a lot more access to it and it continue to grow for their retirement. So that's what I talk through options with clients as well. And then it's about how we leave a legacy. You know, the people that you love, that you have in your life, you know, what kind of life do you want to leave with them? What kind of part do you want to play in setting your family up with generational wealth? And the sooner we talk about those kind of options, and I'm talking IE life insurance, and there's so many different kinds of life insurances out there that are affordable, that if we afford them and take the time to do it right now, then, you know, we're showing our loved ones that we love them because no matter what, when we leave this earth, which is inevitable, there's going to be a legacy left for them. So I talk through all those phases and stages and see exactly where people have interest. And I just focus on those areas and create a plan for them. That's easy to follow. And what's the best way for people to follow you or connect? Well, they can connect with me directly. Kenan.Tatum at Thrivement.com. They can call me at 919-818-8755. I'm open 24 hours a day. 
really to messaging, but all we need to do is just, you know, do you want to meet in person or do you want to meet virtually? And let's just have the conversation, the conversation that can cost you anything but your time, but you're going to be the 100% beneficiary for spending the time and just getting some clarity on whatever you have going on. Perfect. And we'll be sure to have that in the show notes so people can reach out to you as well. And Kenan, what I want to do now to wrap up our show is I want to go through my two-minute drill, which I know you're excited about. Are you ready? Yep, let's do it. All right. First question is, what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? When I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a car dealer on a car dealership. (laughs) Oh, I did not know that. Interesting. Next question is, who would play you in a movie about your life? Yeah, I really don't know who would play me. I think I'd get me to play me in a movie about my life, man. There you go. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Next question is, what is your favorite vacation spot? I just came from there, Dominican Republic. Yes, and I know you had a wonderful time. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. How about, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? I'm a chocolate chip mint guy. Okay. Next question is, what is a pet peeve of yours? Being late. Yes, I can see that. How about what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? Move the Ball podcast. Yep, hosted by Jim Garrett, you know. (laughs) But um, I do listen to Financial Matters podcast. I do listen to Faith and Business podcast. do listen to Steve Harvey Morning Show. Uh, I like Steve Harvey Morning Show for my laughs. And the book that I'm reading is The Trusted Advisor. Oh, interesting. I'll have to check out that book. And all great podcasts and shows that you mentioned, especially the first one. I appreciate the energy when you said that first one. Absolutely. And my last question is, you are hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? Jesus, my little sister, and who would be the third? I don't know who that third one would be. I brought my grandma back. She just passed in January. So I'd love to see her again. Yeah. Three great people to have in a dinner party for sure. Absolutely. So Kenan, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate all the insights. You shared great lessons, some great tips in terms of financial planning and things for people to think about and lessons for guys to think about as they are looking to be successful in the league as well as to set themselves up for success beyond the game too. I really enjoyed having you on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for the time. And um, yeah, go Irish. Take care. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you found this to be of value, please share it with somebody else and be sure to subscribe to that podcast so you don't miss any other episodes that are coming up. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.